Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's Platinum Sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Donna Parisi, Global Head of the Finance Business Unit for Sherman & Sterling, a global law firm with over 850 lawyers in 24 offices worldwide. Donna is one of the firm's financial services industry leaders and also leads Sherman & Sterling's FinTech Foundry and Sherman Women, the firm's women's initiative. Now, please join me in a great conversation with Donna Parisi. Great. Well, Donna, thank you so much for joining us on the Wharton FinTech podcast. Can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Sure. I'm delighted to be joining you today. I have been a lawyer in the financial services space for over 20 years, focusing on derivatives. And my work in the derivative space, you know, most of my clients are primarily financial institutions, although I do have some buy-side clients as well. And as my career has evolved, I started becoming responsible for relationship coverage. And in talking to the major financial institutions, both in the U.S. and globally, it became clear you know, six, seven, eight years ago, you know, basically following the global financial crisis, that fintech was going to be a disruptor in the financial services sector. And that's when I became really interested and started following FinTech closely so that I could continue to add value and serve my clients. So that's very interesting. So you've had a front row seat at the evolution of financial services within the last couple of decades. How has this landscape evolved and, and particularly focusing on the intersection of tech and FinTech and finance? Yeah, so you know we're at another moment of accelerated change, right? We're, we're talking uh, during the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And when you look back, the global financial crisis was another such period of change. And what became clear was that it wasn't really fulfilling its mission for all of um, the folks in the United States and in the globe. And so FinTech emerged from that time of change to say, how can we do it better? And at first, folks were really focused on fintechs being disruptors, what would happen to the traditional financial services firms. But what became clear relatively quickly is that there's a place for both in the ecosystem and that fintech wasn't going to disrupt the traditional financial services provider, but they were going to augment it and push them to do things differently in a way that hopefully works better for all involved. Uh, you know, one of the things that's become very clear is that there's a huge regulatory barrier to entry. So if you are a licensed bank, right, if you have your AML, KYC policies and procedures, all those things that banks have uh, have now become a barrier to entry. And it's something that fintechs have to be able to scale up and have the resources to uh, put in place themselves. So as a result of that, you're seeing a lot of collaboration and partnerships between the traditional financial services firms and the fintech startups. So it sounds like um, 
this collaboration uh, is a nature of the environment. Do you think this will change over time? Yes, it's going to evolve. Exactly how, I don't think either you or I could say definitively. Right now, we see traditional financial services firms making investments, doing revenue sharing types of arrangements, joint ventures. And ultimately, financial services are looking to either do a buyout use the, you know, have access to the fintech technology. And that seems to be the end game, how that will play out in the next three to five years and whether there'll be some really dominant fintech players. I believe so. I mean, you see that sort of in the unicorn space, you see fintechs being able to be very agile um, using technologies such as artificial intelligence um, to make better credit decisions what the traditional financial services firms have is access to clients, right? And access to capital. And as I mentioned before, the regulatory licenses. But I think you're going to see some you know, digital-only banks really come to prominence in the next several years. Do you expect that the current crisis will accelerate the wave of potential buyouts? Yes. So we've done some work and we published some thought leadership on how COVID-19 is impacting fintechs. And clearly, you know, it, it's a difficult time for most companies, but especially so for fintechs who are in growth mode, right? How are they going to raise capital in this environment? Can they keep their employees? So on and so forth. So I think that you will see some accelerated buyouts of some of these companies if they make the decision that given the financial pressures and other pressures, they're not going to be able to go it alone. Or um, just as importantly, they need scale, right? Where everybody is searching for scale. And so I think that you will see some consolidation and uh, buying opportunities in the fintech space as folks are looking to scale up their business model. Right. And, and I don't know if you have a view on this, but do you think the regulator is incentivized to see more buyouts to maybe reduce the risk of some of this uh, smaller companies with exposure? You know, I think you can come at that from a couple of different angles. So on the one hand, we see the regulators being uh, very careful about how they approach fintechs and any relaxation of regulatory requirements, right? They want to make sure that um, Main Street is protected and get the benefits of the banking regulatory scheme. That being said, there's a pressure to be a little bit more flexible to encourage innovation, um, encourage the provision of financial services, especially to the underbanked, which you know a lot of fintechs are focused on. So there's that tension there. Great. So tell us a little bit about... Um... Sherman and Sterling about its uh, involvement in fintech, but particularly about the fintech foundry and how it got started. The fintech foundry is our fintech initiative. It got started, uh, I would say, about two, three years ago now. Uh, and again, it, it came out of us following the fintech space very closely and wanting to be able to serve and add value to our clients. So it has three pillars. Uh, one is called FinTech Insights. This is our thought leadership piece where we publish articles and information of interest to the FinTech ecosystem. So I can give you a, a couple of recent examples. We partnered with the UK Department of International Trade on a handbook 
that talks about accessing the U.S. markets for fintechs outside the U.S. The U.S. is appealing on two fronts. One, obviously, their customer base, but two, also capital raising. So the U.S. is the most attractive market for fintechs outside the U.S. to scale up and raise capital. Another example is we have an interactive global regulatory sandbox map. So if you click on a country in the globe, you'll be able to see, do they have a regulatory sandbox? What are the criteria for participating? So those are examples of our fintech insights. We also have what we call our fintech foundry salons. And this is super fun. This is where we bring together different parts of the community around topics. Pre-COVID-19, we did a lot of in-person seminars, salon dinners, and it was really awesome to see that interaction. Uh, We've now morphed to a digital-only platform for the time being, and we look forward to the day that we can convene in person again. But some examples of our fintech salons would be we did a panel on stablecoins. Oh, fantastic. And who is your audience uh, for the salon? Are you trying to cater to maybe more established fintech companies or are you also trying to develop a relationship with younger companies? Before I answer that question, I'll just say what the third pillar is, and that is our fintech advisory. And this is where we work with startups, providing them advice and mentorship on the legal issues they should be sensitive to. And in the fintech space, it's really important because it's such a heavily regulated industry, whereas in other sectors, you might be able to defer perhaps your compliance and legal obligations to get to a later stage. Uh, What we found is that it's really important for fintechs to pay attention to those early on and make sure that their legal and regulatory and compliance house is in order, because when they start trying to raise money from institutional investors or looking at strategic partnerships or strategic sales, their compliance profile is going to be very important to those investors. And if they haven't done the homework up front, it's going to delay their plans. So to to go back to your question, so we try to cover the whole ecosystem. So our fintech advisory is focused on the startups, but we also have done a number of programs and partnerships with the venture firms. And we have our clearly our financial institution client base as well that we tried to bring into it. So we really have, you know, at least three pillars, our traditional financial services client base, the startups, and then the venture capital community. That's exciting. And and it makes sense, right? Because uh, the younger companies need to have, of course, uh, very clear visibility on on the legal implications of what they're doing and be very buttoned up. Otherwise, that will will carry uh, in the long term. On that front, would you mind telling us a little bit about some of the legal and regulatory trends that you're seeing, particularly in the fintech space? Yes. So I mentioned the regulatory barrier to entry earlier. However, that being said, we do see uh, certain fintechs looking to obtain bank charters through a number of different areas, right? So it can be through acquisition. Lending Club announced this acquisition of Radius Bank in February Another way was to to just get your own bank charter, which Vero received FDIC approval to move it towards obtaining a federal bank charter, and Monzo is in the application process. We also see dozens of fintechs partnering with existing chartered financial institutions to use the benefit of their bank licenses, and I think you're going to continue to see more of it. One thing that has been a gating issue is 
whether or not these fintech banks will get the benefit of deposited insurance. And I think we've seen recent actions by the FDIC, including approving the deposit insurance applications for Square and Nelnet through the establishment of industrial banks in Utah. So we do see the regulators taking some steps that will allow some of the larger fintechs to obtain the requisite licensing and deposit insurance in the U.S. Then I think another trend that we see is international expansion. So we're working, Sherman and Sterling is a global firm. We have um, you know, 18 offices scattered around the globe. And we're working with a number of fintechs. A number of them have started in the UK, which has been in the forefront uh, in terms of leadership in the fintech sector. And now they have penetrated the US, the UK market and they're looking to scale and move to the US. So OpenWorth, for example, would be one of those. Um, I think you've, you know, we've, we've been discussing, we've mentioned N26 and Revolut, Monzo. Uh, so we see those institutions trying to enter and access and scale up in the U.S. market now. Fantastic. All former podcast guests, by the way. Oh, <laughs> you've got a good track record. <laughs> we try. Uh, and, and what about other regions? Have you had a, a chance to work maybe with um, U.S. fintechs trying to expand maybe to Latin America, to Asia or, or even Africa? So I would say it's not so much U.S. fintechs trying to expand to those jurisdictions, but we see the areas that you mentioned as really being hotbeds of fintech activity. So, for example, one of the things on our agenda for this year is Latin America. We've seen a huge explosion of fintechs in the region, and I think you're going to see some consolidation sort of within that region. Again, they will come to the U.S. not so much for our customer base, but for our capital and access to capital. So we see a lot of activity happening in Latin America and Africa, of course, you know, especially sort of in the payments and the, the digital banking is a huge opportunity as well. They haven't had the benefit of traditional financial services. There are a lot of underbanked and the opportunities in Africa are huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense. And, and so let's go back to the topic of COVID-19, right? This mm -hmm. is something a major event that every single company is experiencing. And obviously your clients are going through it. Some of them, I imagine, are maybe even thriving through the digitalization efforts, but also the ones that have credit exposure, of course, have to manage this exposure mm -hmm. throughout uh, these troubled times. How are your clients navigating and then how are you advising them through this process? It's a tough time for everyone involved, and there will be some winners and losers. So we have published a COVID-19 resource guide uh, that helps our fintech, emerging growth, and small business clients navigate various legal and compliance considerations they should be thinking about in light of COVID-19, such as loans and liquidity arrangements, taxes, right? there, Many governments around the globe have deferred the payment of certain taxes, employee matters, Right. Um, you know, unfortunately, many companies are looking at furloughs or layoffs during these times. Fundraising, how they may need to alter their fundraising plans and timing in light of COVID-19 and other you know, related regulatory issues. So the firm more broadly has a COVID-19 resource center that addresses all of these issues. But then we also have specific resources devoted to the fintech and emerging company sector. On the fundraising side, do you also have relationships with the investors? 
Yes. So that's one of the things that I think is some of the most exciting and fulfilling and gratifying things we do, which is to connect people. I love to connect. I get energized by connecting interesting people to each other when I know they share some common interests. So as we talked about, our FinTech Foundry has a a three-legged stool in terms of the clients and participants in the ecosystem we're looking at. And one of the things that we seek to do through both our salon series and in general is to connect people within the ecosystem, including our startup clients to potential sources of capital. Got it. And now, Donna, you are pretty active and you've actually done some good work specifically around the gender gap issue within the fintech space. We would love to hear more about your efforts here. Yeah, so I'm one of the leaders at Sherman and Sterling of our women's initiative. I've already mentioned that, you know, I had our fintech initiative, also had our financial institution relationship coverage, and I love it when all my worlds collide. And so fintech and gender is a place where all of this comes together. And I'm really passionate about making sure that women have equal access to opportunity and can thrive in this fintech sector because it it just so much holds so much promise for all. And, you know, our traditional ways of doing things haven't necessarily always served women well. So I'm excited about fintech, about improving some of those outcomes. So we have hosted several women-focused events throughout the year with the fintech industry. And in particular, we've done a number of events with female founders, where we allow them to network with accelerators and incubators, make introductions to investors, and we help them learn about best practices for funding. As I'm sure you know, funding for women-led startups only captured 2.3% of total capital invested by VC funds in the U.S. last year, according to recent PitchBook data. So there is a lot of room for improvement. So we try to bring together our female entrepreneurs and sources of capital. You know, one of the last in-person events that we were able to do was a celebration of International Women's Day, where we had a panel of female leaders in the fintech industry discuss the next generation of fintechs. One of them was Nikki Gulimas from Nova Credit, who I know was recently a guest on your podcast. We love Nikki. also supported and collaborated with New York City Fintech Women, which is a female-led fintech community. And for two years running, we participated with Kesne in a female-focused accelerator program that holds an annual pitch competition. And I've had the honor of being a judge both years. Uh, And it's been just really fun and terrific opportunity. Oh, that that really is uh, fantastic and sounds like a, a robust initiative. How about your message for also the male founders? We have uh, quite a few listeners, actually, who are not just operators, but also founders of uh, fintechs around the world. Uh, what would you like to say to them so they, they can also improve their efforts closing this gender gap? My message to you is we need you. Right? We can't do it alone. Women can talk to each other until we're blue in the face. And I've been doing this for 20 years and the progress has been so slow and so incremental that for us to be accelerate, for us to be successful and accelerate change, uh, we need to work with our male allies. And I think what COVID-19 has really exposed is that there is an opportunity gap in the U.S. and globally, and we all need to work together to address those challenges. Thank you for that. Uh, Well, Donna, this has been 
Very, very interesting. Before we go, uh, do you mind telling us also a little bit about your hobbies outside of work, outside of Sherman and Sterling? So, I mean, that, that sort of goes to, to um, my work with the Women's Initiative, which I think it's, I do have some hobbies. I love to play tennis, for example, and I've taken that up in the last four or five years. And for me, it's a great way to sort of, you know, allow me to be a bit competitive, get my exercise in within some sort of com- compressed time frame. But really, I've tried to integrate my work life and my personal life, because especially through the use of technology, right, we're on 24-7. And, you know, in order for there to sort of deal with the stresses of both your home life and your personal world, I have two daughters that I'm extremely proud of, ages 17 and 13. I really seek to integrate my professional life and my personal life, inviting my daughters to some of the, the salon events we put on together. So I would say my major hobby right now is tennis, but I try to integrate, you know, this whole thing of work-life balance, it's never in balance. One is always taking precedent over the other. It's silly to try to, you know, especially tell women that you're, you're supposed to be balanced and in harmony. You always feel like you're not meeting, you know, one obligation, you're not doing the best you could possibly do. And so I just encourage people and women in particular to try to integrate your home uh, your personal and your professional life to the extent you can and, and understand that there's going to be very few times in your life when you're, when you're meeting all of your obligations exactly the way you would like to, but you do the best you can and you, you, know, you learn and you grow. Well, Donna, thank you for joining us. This has been a treat. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time and we absolutely look forward to staying in touch. Yes, it's been my pleasure, Miguel. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.